Era podcast. Research matters. Over the last few weeks and months, the COVID-19 pandemic has transformed the way we live, work, research, teach and learn. This series explores the impact of the pandemic on our members and on the field of educational research. Hello and welcome to this podcast. I'm Lydia Limperis, co-convener of the Educational Technology Special Interest Group at BIRA, a fellow of the Higher Education Academy and also a doctoral researcher at Newcastle University. I'm going to share some insights about some critical ways in which the ongoing pandemic is shaping discourse around the role of educational technology, with particular reference to pedagogy and quality learning. I want to draw on this idea that up until recently, we had been operating on a piecemeal basis, which was extremely restrictive in the sense that the two major forms of educational technology uptake around the world were not really communicating with each other. On the one hand, we have contexts where educational technology was already being used as a way of providing access to otherwise unavailable schooling. And on the other are settings where ICT is being adopted based on its added pedagogical value for the majority of the students concerned, provided they could access the school premises. And what we are now seeing is that neither one is a sustainable approach in and of itself. For example, various artificial intelligence-based tutoring systems and similar adaptive learning platforms have been developed in response to an identified need to meet every student right where she is. And such systems with continuous formative assessments throughout the learning process are able to create quite powerful feedback loops, which schools can then use to provide targeted interventions to support those who are struggling, which is, of course, brilliant. But have such implementations proved to be sustainable during a time of crisis where students are being asked to stay at home? For the most part, no. In other instances, we had classrooms going on guided virtual reality Google expeditions to a host of places and educational sites around the world in an effort to cater to different, sometimes even interdisciplinary educational goals and at the same time open up the learning experience to novelty. And we now have evidence that novelty helps because it induces dopamine release in the brain, which has been shown to accelerate learning. Recently, there has also been increased discussion around the opportunities provided by computer technologies to develop and, in a way, automate certain socio-emotional, interpersonal and cognitive skills that are fundamental in explaining how we learn and if we succeed. Things such as the ability to think holistically, take the perspective of others, communicate clearly, identify patterns of cooperation with peers, solve problems and making responsible decisions. All these are more context dependent and dynamic than academic skills and can really only be thought of as competencies once students have been given enough opportunities to transfer these from one situation to another and automate these processes. And for this, we would need a multitude of different scenarios, which a traditional classroom and textbook environment cannot provide, at least not as authentically as we would want. But a web-based simulation, for instance, has the capacity to do so. So this is another way in which educational technology is being implemented in some parts of the world, 
for the purpose of boosting academic achievement. And one can rightly ask at this point, well, that's great, but will everyone's academic achievement be impacted in such fantastic ways with the help of educational technology? Which is a question that can be reframed in the following terms. Would a bunch of empty pages beautifully bound together or with some sort of incoherent content ever boost academic performance in and of themselves? even if the content was highly relevant, informative and engaging, would a student with low vision be able to benefit from it without any modifications made to the book? Or would the students know how to sift through the content to identify the answer to a question or synthesize bits of information from various chapters in order to come up with a solution to a problem unless their teacher or someone more knowledgeable helped them with that? And if they did try to work it out on their own and got really frustrated in the process, would the book alone help them become more academically resilient? Of course, that's all supposing the book had been made available to all students in the first place. And they all had lamps at home to read when the teacher was off sick, for example, or the students just couldn't get to school either because they were feeling poorly or because of a global disease outbreak. My point is that we invested so many human and material resources into building an education system that could work as efficiently as possible under normal circumstances. And over the decades, we got so comfortable in it that we didn't think we might need a contingency plan. Educational technology came along and for the most part, we treated it as either some sort of crutch that could provide some sense of educational access in contexts where the system as we knew it was not an option for whatever reason, but, oh well, better than nothing. Or it was hailed as a frill, which was only available to those who could afford it, and those who could access it too. And there are two important lessons that we've learned from this crisis. One is that a better-than-nothing mindset can maybe provide access to schooling, but not learning. And second, that a frill approach effectively perpetuates a very fragile status quo, which, once disrupted, will expose the range of inequities that had been lying underneath the whole time. So we need to direct our resources towards a better understanding of how the two bodies of accumulated knowledge speak to each other. And to do so, we have to look holistically. So I hope we don't throw ourselves in a misguided rush to equip the world with technology without regard for ways to maximise its potential in a given environment, just so that we are able to claim they've been given access to schooling. And equally, that we don't roll out expensive tech strategies involving cutting-edge ICT without addressing accessibility issues, both at school and at home. I'm Jill Jameson, Professor of Education at the University of Greenwich in London, and one of two outgoing conveners of the Bayer Educational Technology SIG. I'm going to talk about digital leadership and trust in education during the COVID-19 crisis. Leadership plays a vital role in times of great uncertainty. In this COVID-19 pandemic, given that digital technology is now essential for the delivery of almost all education in lockdown, Effective digital leadership that mediates human relationships with technological innovation and builds trust in education 
has suddenly taken on a crucially important new role for which some are ill-prepared. Digital leadership in education is difficult to define, but broadly speaking, we could say it is an influential and engaging systemic power which operates at varied organizational levels that enables people to learn, to work and to network together using advanced information technologies. A growing literature on digital leadership highlights an impressively comprehensive list of important leadership capabilities for digital transformation and adaptability. However, despite the glowing list of ideal attributes that digital leaders might theoretically possess, notably including digital savviness, relational capability and adaptability, the evidence from a recent global MIT Sloan review is that only 9% of more than 4,300 survey respondents from over 120 countries strongly agreed that their companies had leaders with the skills needed to survive in digital workplaces, while only 12% strongly agreed that their leaders have an appropriate mindset for leading in this new world of work. In education, it's likely that there are similar problematic deficits, though no such large-scale global survey has yet been carried out. This is therefore a vital area for new development, as in the ultra-fast-moving digitization processes during COVID-19, organizations face extraordinary levels of volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, which bring significant new challenges for leadership. Educational leaders need rapidly to adapt and take on new digital leadership capabilities, learning to identify and navigate multiple complex digitized professional, social and research situations involving uncertainty. This includes rapid whole institution transition to e-learning and work using evolving ICT systems. Digital leadership, in fact, plays a distinctive role in trustworthy meaning-making for institutions which are plunged into challenging online operational ambiguities. Institutions which are facing the potential chaos of a new normal in a pandemic none of us predicted. Growing evidence indicates the most important factor of successful digital leadership is to foster a high-trust environment. Yet little practical theoretical or empirical guidance exists on trust-building capabilities for digital leadership development, which is relatively nascent, with many leaders simply unprepared for this, still managing with an outdated command and control fixed mindset and little digital savviness. Prior studies on e-leadership, an earlier term for digital leadership, marked out key features of this field, but such research is still emergent, patchy, and relatively underdeveloped. Among the challenges of leading people in the digital transformation of workplaces is therefore a lack of theorization and development of digital leadership capabilities to handle complexity and to build trust during rapid changes involving multiple disruptions to industries, job roles, working processes and human resources patterns. In fact, prior global annual survey research by the MIT Sloan Management Review and Deloitte over the past five years, including more than 4,800 business executives, managers, and analysts in organizations of variable sizes across 129 countries and 27 industries, 
has in fact continued to report a lack of preparedness of industries to carry out the many roles of digital leadership effectively. Although the same authors found that by 2018 some progress towards digital maturity had been made, there's still a massive mismatch between ideal digital leadership theories and actual leadership realities. Hence, despite some progress, combined with the relative emergence of high-profile digital leadership qualifications and programs, for example at Harvard, Warwick, Deloitte, MIT and many others, there's still a relative dearth of development on leadership of organizational decision-making capacities to cope with the highly complex, risky and uncertain new challenges posed by digitization. This is particularly acute during the current global COVID-19 pandemic, when all educational provision has suddenly become almost totally reliant on digital systems, and when surveillance, cyberbullying, risk of data loss, cybercrime, and related ICT systems risk are also on the rise. In this uncertain situation, how can digital leaders build trust? The consensus of many prior research studies from the extensive literature on organizational trust indicates that three key factors are needed to build trust in educational institutions. Competence, benevolence, and integrity. Let's think about each of those in turn. Firstly, competence. Digital leaders in education need to influence, engage, and reassure both students and staff of the competence of university and other levels of education management and systems to handle this crisis effectively in a reliable, safe, humane way in the short and longer term. For this clear, regular, authoritative communications providing strategic direction, comprehensive information, appropriate guidance on digital systems and robust assurances of fully operational capability are needed. Secondly, benevolence. In addition, digital leaders at all levels, but particularly in senior management, also need to be capable now of more, more than just competence in strategic vision and, and digital skills. They need to fluently demonstrate benevolence in leading the mission of education unselfishly for the greater good, despite multiple stresses, through open, flexible communication, through emotional and social intelligence, and through willingness to welcome and respond proactively to critique. Thirdly, integrity. Finally, digital leaders need to demonstrate the integrity and trustworthiness of institutional values, processes, operations, and culture through reliable and open procedural fairness. Such trustworthy leaders act with ethical and cultural awareness of social justice, complex realities, and inequalities, demonstrating authenticity and a capacity to embrace critical thinking in a balanced, spontaneously helpful way. Digital leaders also need to reassure educational stakeholders they are applying ethical standards, setting up and maintaining appropriate systems to ensure students and staff well-being, mutual respect and protection for the educational community from digital surveillance, data exploitation and cyber criminal activity, amongst other threats. Digital leadership and the formation of trust in education is a vital area, in fact, for new research and development, particularly in view of the urgent need for effective online post-COVID-19 education, and educational researchers are strongly encouraged to investigate this field further.
Hello, my name is Patricia Marybell Davis. I am an associate professor at Prince Mohammed bin Fahd University. My section of this podcast will address the impact of COVID-19 on the digital divide. The digital divide refers to the gap between those who have access to technology and those who do not. Issues relating to the divide have been part of a broader educational debate since the late 1960s. And central to these issues are the social, economic, and racial differences between groups of learners. The coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic has brought a significant number of rapid changes to global education. These transformations are more detrimental in low-income communities, including developing countries, who have now been immersed into an unknown digital world or left out altogether. According to UNESCO, only 55% of households globally have an internet connection, and that comprises 87% of households in the developed world, 47% in developing nations, and just 17% in least developed countries. It is estimated that in the UK today, over 2 million children have done little or no schoolwork since lockdown. And 77% of respondents to a recent US survey said that they're concerned about the negative impact the coronavirus outbreak has had on academic learning. The impact of COVID-19 on the digital divide has been extraordinary. The wide chasm between those who are connected and the unconnected has been exposed more than ever before. And many children have little chance from benefiting from emerging technologies such as artificial intelligence to advance their learning. As Professor Rose Locking pointed out recently, there is a risk that AI could exaggerate rather than address the digital divide. Therefore, we need to balance our spatial positions as caring human beings with our duties as researchers. Educational technology research could become a voice for the voiceless by highlighting social justice issues and suggesting solutions. I am Francesco Majorana, a researcher, an educator, a scientific ambassador, and a Coder Dojo champion. I will address the design and development of learning resources in a time of crisis. In time of crisis, like the one we are currently experiencing, it is of paramount importance to be highly focused on quality teaching, finding ways to reach everyone. In this podcast, I will talk about content, leaving technologies and pedagogies to the other speakers, discovering all the aspects of the technological pedagogical content knowledge framework. Success in all three aspects of the framework is considered fundamental for quality teaching. Designing and developing content in this time of crisis means shifting learning resources online. For a successful experience, the following are recommended. Large-scale collaborative effort like Project Quantum, where more than 8,000 
multiple choice questions in the computing realm have been crafted and have undergone a rigorous quality check. These questions have been used with multiple pedagogical approaches such as peer instruction, allowing instructor to pose fundamental concept question aiming at fostering self and group reflection with live in-class activities. Link competencies to learning resource and assessment activities. This will allow for a tight focus of that educational intervention, making it possible to develop the selected competencies. Privilege interactive content. The goal can be pursued throughout many approaches up to changing the flow of learning resource design and development. Start from formative assessment, then proceed to discuss the assessment activities and deepen the material with an inquiry-based approach. The flow of activities in the online book will be formative assessment, discussion regarding the assessment, readings, project activities, summative assessment. Support the content with interactive books like the open source Runestone project or commercial solutions such as ZBooks. Interactive books support the creation of many different assessment activities like Parson Problem, where a solution to a given problem is broken into pieces and the learner must assemble the pieces in the correct order. Online books provide tools for designing and developing animation too. This animation can provide support for students' self-reflection if enough context information is provided. Other open source interactive group platforms like JupyterBook have been successfully used in many disciplines and can be integrated with our based proprietary platform like Codio, a flexible, accessible, and scalable platform for the computing educational community. Provide a variety of activities. In computing, examples range from designing a solution to coding it, either with block-based or textual-based languages, to using puzzle-based and unplugged activities. Organize these activities with a low-floor entry point suitable for all students and a high-ceiling supporting curiosity and challenging all learners. Allow for multiple learning paths along the content, letting educators guide students to choose the learning path that best fits their content and zone of proximal development. Indicating these learning paths, offering an annotated guide for a set of learning resources developed around the curriculum, and stating the level of difficulties of each activities will facilitate the student's self-reflection. 
offer a rich variety of delivering media from short videos to interactive activities. Design all the content in an accessible way, providing support ranging from interactive video captioning to image description. Leverage on communities of practice like Computing as School, where the members with different experiences support each other, offering a cascade of learning resources, scholarship reading, and networking possibilities. Online education can foster collaboration among learners and educators in an international and interdisciplinary setting, and hence could represent a great opportunity for making computational thinking, informational thinking, and communicational thinking, and technological education available for every, everyone by introducing computing and information technologies in the context of other disciplines. Lots of real-world application and learning resource exist in this regard. Thanks for listening to the Bira podcast. For the latest news on Bira events and activities, visit www.bira.ac.uk.